So good evening, everyone. My name is Pat Hart. I'm the CEO of broadcast charity BCFM uh, that for many years used to broadcast just here from the Beacon Centre. Uh, we're now based at Eastern Community Centre uh, alongside Eastside Community Trust. This event really is about how we're going to run our city uh, and the upcoming vote on the 5th of May. Of course, it's political, but what we want to try and do this evening is maybe understand further um, the facts and, and the ideas and the aspirations about the different systems that there are and the choices that we have to make. One of the biggest criticisms um, has been in the past politically is that uh, members of the public don't fully understand what they're voting for. What are the implications? So we've got a fine panel here that we'll introduce shortly to help us through that. Just to let you know, we've got red cards uh, and green cards on your seats. The reason we've got these is to try and make political debate more pleasant in the sense that we're asking people not to shout out or to boo or, or, or whatever, but a green card means that you will agree with what somebody says, or you may agree. A red card means you really don't. It's better than shouting and throwing things, so uh, please use them as much as you want to. And we really do want this to be a constructive uh, discussion this evening. So. Let's move on and welcome Tom Oliver, who's a member of the Bristol Civic Leadership Project. It's a joint project from academics at the University of Bristol and UWE. This year, they produced a report called the Bristol Referendum 2022, thinking through the options. Now, the aim of the report is to provide analysis of the background to the referendum and to set out the strengths and weaknesses of the two different governance models. He's going to talk through the options and give us some of the report's highlights. Thanks, Pat. So um, I think probably what I'll do is just talk about how we got here to the context of this referendum here in Bristol. And I'll leave a lot of the, uh, the positives and negatives of both sides of the debate to the, 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 the excellent speakers we've got tonight. I think the main thing here is, is to lay out the choice. We've got a choice here between two options. There, there's two options on the table. One, to retain the current system with a directly elected mayor, or replace this with the committee system. And that's what we're being called on to vote for next Thursday. So at the moment, under the mayoral system, we have two votes, or, or potentially, potentially more if you have uh, more, more councillors in your ward. One, to choose who leads the city as the directly elected mayor, and who you want as your local representatives as your ward councillors. In the committee system, which was used in Bristol until the year 2000, you can only vote for who you want as your local ward councillor. It's then up to them, they have the responsibility, you delegate that power to them to choose the leader to, to, to represent you. So it's kind of this arm's length, slightly arm's length arrangement. We had the committee system up to the year 2000. After that, there was a, a piece of legislation from the new Labour government where they encouraged all unitary authorities like Bristol to move to the, the cabinet, cabinet and leader model, um, which we had up until the, the referendum where Bristol was the only city to, to vote to opt in to have the mayoral model. So the choice itself has to be a binary choice in the UK with referendums. We can't have multiple options because they're perceived to be uh, kind of more complex to be dealt with on a, on a single issue. It's either in or out, or committee or, or, or mayoral system. So in the system of committees, we don't have a mayor. And obviously, that's not to be confused with the, the regional uh, combined authority mayor, that's Dan Norris for the Labour Party at the moment, or indeed the, the, the Lord Mayor, the ceremonial role. It's not to say that with committee, within committee systems, we don't have any leader at all. And the idea that there's some kind of leadership void is, is something that's been put out there, but is, is, is untrue. What would happen is a leader would be uh, elected by the body of councillors. 
uh, and they basically potentially lead a cabinet or similar of the various leaders of committees. So you move away from having that very direct choice every four years to elect who is the leader. Within the mayoral model, you've got a very clear, I'm going to vote for you now, and if you, uh, you do well, I'll give you that kind of coronation and let you go again. If you do well or do badly, I'll give you the boot. There's a very direct relationship between who you choose and how you impose that accountability on them every four years. What you might get within the committee system is a more... Um, fluid system of accountability where councillors are able to call that, that leader of that council to account more regularly. They're going to be more looking to maintain that power within that, within that committee system. You haven't got that very drastic, I can remove you in the next election, that, 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 that is taken away from you. But they will be more, that accountability will be held throughout the term rather than that single shot point. Ultimately, under the mayoral system at the moment, we have a system whereby executive power sits solely with the mayor. That's the nature of how it's constituted by government. So I think if you look at how the consequences of how this referendum's come about, we have a lot of councillors who perceive themselves to be sidelined into decision-making, moved away from decision-making. The role of council, they would say, has been very much weakened, and executive power sits with the mayor. If you look at mayoral authorities across the UK, we have a lot of executive mayors. Not many of them even delegate powers to their cabinet members. So there is a, a tension here, which is why this, this referendum has come about. It's not to say councillors have no powers. Councillors still have powers over planning, licensing. Um, but these are kind of quasi-judicial matters. They don't really have strong policy-making powers. So we've got a, a corpus of 70 councillors who feel that they can't contribute to policy making, the mechanisms by which they might scrutinise directly elected mayor uh, are weakened, uh, and that's why they've brought about this referendum. I think that the council moved a motion originally, I think it was the Liberal Democrat Council group, moved a motion to move to cabinet and leader, which was the system that we had from uh, the year 2000 till 2012. That motion failed, and then it subsequently come back. Unfortunately, within councils, the, 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 uh, within the legal process, you can't keep bringing back the same motion to council again and again to try and prevent kind of time wasting on motions. So that's why we've got this choice, and people will question why we why is cabinet and leader not on the table? That's the quirk of the legal nature of motions in, in local government. So we have got this binary choice. You can choose to have a leader or a councillor who could ultimately be replaced at any time by the, the, the councillor body. They, they've got that kind of control. So some people might criticise that, say you get council leaders made up from the, the kind of out of the council body into, into the leadership position. They're very much looking towards those councillors and keeping those happy, whereas a directly elected mayor, people would perceive, would be more reactive to the, to the voter and more outward facing. So there's kind of big questions there between a very direct uh, accountability through the election system, or potentially a, a slightly different, more fluid form of accountability where a committee leader is held more strongly to count, or, or full council can hold that leader to account more strongly over the full term of their office. With that clarity of leadership, advocates of the mayoral model would say, we, we know whose door to knock on if we've got a problem or if we've got an ask. That's what an advocate of the mayoral model would say. They'd say, it's very clear who has the power, we know who to ask. There is that clarity, they've got that clarity of platform. Uh, people would say that also gives them that kind of stability of platform. There's often criticisms uh, of the committee model that it gives that kind of instability or fluidity, which I think people will probably pick up in the debate today as well. One notion when people talk about the committee system being too unstable, unstable, people often refer to kind of Bristol in the past, 
one thing, and I was chatting with George Ferguson about this yesterday, the big change that happened in Bristol, you know, beyond the mayoral governance referendum, was the city moving to elect in all up elections, so once every four years. We used to have a system where we would elect councillors in thirds um, three years out of every four, which was fairly horrific for political activists, having, you know, one year off in every four. Um, fairly bad for, 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 for Brenda saying, not another one, because you've got another election coming through as well. Um, but equally, it meant we did have instability because uh, uh, various political parties could have what they used to call rather nastily kind of decapitation strategies where they, all you need to do was, was oust a single uh, a ward member, a local councillor, and you'd really have to shake up the dynamic of, that, of the council by removing that leader. So we did have a lot of churn and change in that period when we had the cabinet and leader model. That's absolutely true. But that might be to some extent, and this will probably be debated, be done away with by the movement to, to, to all up elections every four years. I think that's probably enough just outlining how we got here, and then I'll hand over to uh, Pat to introduce the speakers. Thank you very much. I think a round of applause, really, for that man here. Thank you. Tom was going to go off and get some fish and chips, but you've, you've got to stay here now. He's going to help us uh, adjudicate. He might have been watching the football, I'm not sure. So what we're going to do next uh, is we're going to meet our panellists. Rather than me introduce our panellists, how wonderful, isn't it, that they can introduce themselves. I'll start on the left, actually. We'll kick off with Marley Bennett. Hello. Um, can you hear me OK? Great. Um, so my name's Marley Bennett. I'm from here, grew, grew up in Easton, and I'm Labour's uh, councillor for Eastville Ward nearby. Um, thank you all for coming and engaging in this debate. It's no secret that me and my other Labour councillors voted against having this referendum at all. Um, we think the mail model is good for Bristol, and um, I'll, I'll try and explain why in the time I've got. But we also have concerns about the use of taxpayers' money of £600,000 uh, at a time of cost of living crisis. But we want everyone to engage with the debate and turn out to be as high as possible. That is true. But crucially, the second question, how did you acquire that power? A mayor is directly elected by the people of Bristol. Everyone in Bristol gets a vote the same, and they have appointed the mayor, whoever it is, at an election. A committee chair is appointed by party whips, by negotiations of people. It's that delegation of power that Tom mentions. There's not that direct accountability. I think that's really important. Similarly, in whose interest do you wield that power and to whom are you accountable? A mayor wields the power in the interest of the people of Bristol, because that's who they're accountable to at election time. A committee chair is not directly accountable to the people of Bristol, the voters en masse, in the same way. They're accountable to their colleagues in City Hall, their other members of the party, party whips. There's not that direct accountability. Finally, Tony's final question, how can I remove you? You can see how you can remove a mayor. You can vote him out at the next election, or her out. You can re remove them. You have in, out of 70 uh, councillors, 67, 68, 69 of them won't represent the ward that you live in. So if you have a committee chair who you disagree with, you have no means of holding them accountable at an election time. I think that's a very important democratic principle, and that direct accountability that Tom mentioned is far more preferable than a fluid or an unclear democratic accountability for the voters. 
I think having a mayor has delivered many positives for Bristol in terms of uh, um, achieving things and making decisions, as opposed to a committee, which Bristol leads into deadlock, indecision, delays, inconsistent um, decision-making. You only need to look at Marvin Rees's response to an in incident that had international reverberations, the pulling down of Colston statue, how he responded to that so effectively and was able to convey what many in the city were feeling was only possible because he had that mandate from the city as a whole that he'd been elected. I don't think a committee chair would have been able to do um, respond so effectively. Uh, my name is Carla Denia. I'm Uh, I'm co-leader of the Green Party of England and Wales, uh, Green Party parliamentary candidate for Bristol West and one of the councillors in Bristol. Nearly a third of us are LGBTIQA+, and our ethnic diversity is similar to the Bristol average. And I, I, know, I know the ratios are pretty good for the other parties too. This is important because the more diverse the lived experience of the people in the room, the more likely we are to make policy decisions that are good for everyone. But it's not just diversity of background. Diversity in political outlook makes for good decision-making too. And, and it's just better democracy. The idea that just one person can represent the views of the 466,000 people who live in Bristol is plainly ridiculous. That's why I'm voting to change to a committee system on the 5th of May. With a committee system, 70 councillors have a seat at the table where the decisions are made. So you have a far better chance that your views are in there and the decisions made reflect the needs and wants of all Bristolians. In contrast, Bristol's current mayoral system gives just one person almost total control. This model works well for those who have the mayor's ear, but not so well for everyone else. As a Green, I believe in consensus politics. All votes matter, not just those cast for a certain party. This referendum isn't about the current mayor, though. It's about making better decisions by removing an unhealthy concentration of power in the hands of just one person. It means less politicking and less tribalism and more working together. In Sheffield, the committee system received overwhelming support in a similar recent referendum last year because they had witnessed a series of poor decisions from a domineering one-party Labour administration. Committee working is not always easy. Working with people you disagree with can be uncomfortable. But because everyone is included in the decisions made, it means they have broad support and can go ahead without the risk that future administrations will try to rip it all up and start again. It delivers stability, in a word, and will mean a more democratic, transparent, proportional and cooperative way of doing politics. So if you feel like your voice isn't being heard by the council, this is the time to vote for change. Oh, hi. Uh, I'm Emma and I'm the CEO of Trinity Bristol. I guess I'm the layman on the panel. Uh, I guess I'm here asking the questions that probably everyone else in the audience is asking, like, why are we here and why are we here right now? Um, I've worked in the community and voluntary sector in Bristol since 2007, so I'm super passionate about democracy and people having their say, uh, and particularly about representation. Uh, and that's why I feel in this referendum specifically is problematic, because it hasn't enabled representation and it hasn't enabled sufficient time for communities of diverse um, needs and interests to get involved, to understand 
understand and be educated and informed about the choice that they're being asked to make in a week's time. Uh, it's, it's, yes, it is important to have um, representation at councillor level, um, but it's also important to have that representation there at leadership and for that leader to be accountable to the communities that are, uh, the diverse communities of Bristol uh, that are, you know, represented some, somewhere to this extent in this audience. Uh, I've been to a number of hustings events that were turned out by quadruple the amount of people in this audience and were hugely representative. Uh, I don't believe this audience is as representative and I think that is indicative of the fact that we've been asked to make a very snap decision about something uh, and the message just hasn't got out. Uh, so I'm here speaking up for the communities of Bristol who are busy worrying about their gas bills, worrying about uh, the, you know, what school they're going to send their kids to uh, and saying why am I being asked uh, to make this decision in a week's time when I'm not really sure what the consequence of that decision is going to be. Uh, and I think we're all aware uh, of the consequences of poorly uh, executed um, referendum choices as with the Brexit 2016 choice that we've, we're <laughs> still living with now. Emma, thank you very much indeed. And please, uh, yeah, thank you. I was just reminding you, please feel free, if you wish, to use those red or yellow cards. Okay, final introduction. Sometimes I feel you don't need an introduction, but there you go. <laughs> Stephen Williams. Thanks. Um, my, my name is um, Stephen Williams. Uh, Carla mentioned age. There was a time uh, when I was younger than Marley Bennett, uh, 30 years ago when I was the youngest member of, of the council. And for years, I was always the youngest member of the panel as well. <laughs> I think this is the first time ever, as this is a historic event, I've been the oldest member of uh, any panel I've been on. And I'm not that old. Um, but the, the reason I mentioned age uh, and the fact I was a councillor in the 1990s, I think I'm just the only person left uh, in Bristol who is still sort of active in politics, or semi-activate, uh, who actually remembers how the city was run when there was a committee system, and how the county was run, because they even existed at the time as well, under a committee system. And I've, I've read a lot of articles over the last few weeks, and I've heard a lot of people talking about how Bristol used to be before we had a mayor, and you'd swear it was some industrial wasteland where nothing <laughs> positive had ever happened at all. So I made a little list um, while I was having a cup of tea before uh, I came here, about some of the things that I think everyone will think is a good thing that happened in Bristol. Reuniting the cathedral with College Green. There used to be a road that ran down the side of, of the council house, City Hall, into the centre, bringing all the traffic off the portway into the city centre. In 1992, uh, that was torn up and grassed over, and College Green is now a wonderful place for the whole city. Queen Square used to have a diagonal dual carriageway. Can you believe it? A dual carriageway running through the middle of Queen Square, taking traffic across the city. I was the councillor for the city centre who in December 1993 moved a motion at a committee that said this was terrible and in fact we should close the road. Massive fuss controversy at the time. The road was closed. The Heritage Lottery Fund paid for Queen Square to be restored to how it was before the 1930s. And now, once again, it's a wonderful place uh, for, for the whole of Bristol. All the park and ride sites that we have around the city, the three that exist at the moment, were done by the committee system in the 1990s. Harbourside was all planned out and started to be built by the committee system in the 1990s. 
before we had a mayor, so this is in the first decade of, of, of this century, uh, we got M-Shed, which was originally my idea. I wrote it into a, a Liberal Democrat manifesto in, in elections in the 1990s, and when my party took control of the council, uh, one of our councillors at the time, Simon Cook, uh, took it through with, with the help of the lottery, and we now have a wonderful regional museum, again, done uh, before, before the mayor. I've got a long list. There's lots of things that are positive that have happened in all of our lifetimes in Bristol that were either delivered by a committee system or were delivered by a different model but before 2012 when we had the mayor. So I'm basically saying there is nothing to be afraid of of having a modern committee system. It's not going backwards. It's doing something that used to work in the past, but do it in a different way. To anyone who says to you that committees are dreadful, poor bodies for decision-making, total anarchy results, and uh, everyone faffs around and no one makes a decision, how do you think the country's run? You know, my last job was a government minister. I was a member of committees that were called the cabinet uh, that made decisions about the whole country. So our country is run by committees. This city used to be run by committees, and most of the things we value in Bristol were delivered by councillors working together on committees. So don't be afraid of change. It's Thank you, Stephen. Point. Thank you very much. Okay. So, time for our questions. So, people have submitted questions into the Bristol Cable. Uh, some of those who uh, wanted to ask questions are here, others are not. So, I'm going to ask this one. This is uh, from Paul Hazelden, um, who asked, the present mayor has repeatedly asked the political parties to work together for the good of Bristol, and they've consistently chosen instead to work for the political benefit of their own party. What reason do we have to suppose that, in the absence of a mayor, they will suddenly start to work together for the good of Bristol? Marley, can we um, go to you first for that? Yes, of course. Um, I think that's a very good question, and I don't have a clear answer, <laughs> a clear answer to how, how that would work. You know, I, I, I think Emma sort of said it very well that, you know, there wasn't a huge appetite for this referendum. We've sort of, you know, had it cold and all of a sudden we're having this debate too quickly about what the decision making for Bristol should look like for, you know, the next few years. And I don't think we've had the quality of debate that we really need to have about how we should make decisions in Bristol. I'm not convinced from what I've seen, and my, you know, I've not got the long experience Stephen has in City Hall, but from what I've seen so far, I'm not convinced that we could get this sort of collaborative decision-making um, that would benefit the entire Bristol. What I have seen is we've got a mayor who, because of that system, because of that direct accountability, is able to be outwards-facing and a representative of the public directly, rather than focusing just within City Hall. Okay, thank you. Um, where should we go? Emma. Oh, that's a difficult question for me to ask because I'm not really part of a political party, I suppose. But I guess my observation is that, um, well, I guess when I moved to Bristol, I remember going to something at Turbo Island, you know, at the old garages, motorcycle showrooms. And on the Turbo Island, there was this big banner that was just like, if you're annoyed about stuff that's going on at the council, decision not being made, basically. Here's Barbara Jank's email and personal mobile number. Um, and, and there was this kind of like feeling at the time that Bristol was this city that was stuck in a rut of discussing stuff and arguing about stuff and getting deadlocked. And, um, you know, and, and there was a, a, you know, a relatively low turnout to decide whether or not to have an elected mayor in the first place. But subsequently to that, I think what we've seen is quite a high voter turnout where people are coming, they're engaged 
engaging and they're making that choice around who they want to see in charge. Um, you know, some wards are engaging over 50% of, of, of that engagement and that, yep, yeah, that, well, you can shake your head, but that's true. Um, uh, you know, in comparison to, the, you know, this decision I feel is going to have a very poor turnout. I don't, you know, I can't imagine that anything over 20% of the turnout is going to happen. So I think, you know, could a committee system be better? Could the current system be reformed? Possibly. Should we be being asked to make that decision in a week's time? And is it, you know, is it a decision that's been pushed by the people? I don't think it is. Okay. Um, Carla, in terms of, I mean, I suppose the, the important part of that question is, is asking, um, is what reason do we have to suppose that in the absence of a mayor, that a committee system or the parties will suddenly start to work together for the good of Bristol. I mean, that's an assumption that parties have never worked together before. Indeed it is. Uh, the political balance of councillors in Bristol currently is 24 Green councillors, 24 Labour councillors, 14 Conservative, 6 Lib Dems and 2 Independents. And yet almost every decision is made by the mayor and his eight hand-picked closest allies. Even other members of the Labour Party are sometimes cut out of those decisions. The mayor could choose to have a cross-party cabinet and chair power, but he has declined to do that. The committee system does not rely on the personal generosity of one person to share power and work collaboratively. It is an inherent part of the committee system. So, with Bristol's two largest parties, Greens and Labour, the most likely outcome would be a Green-Labour joint administration. And that is something that the Greens would welcome with open arms. Indeed, Greens are already in administration in 14 councils in England, and in 13 of those, it's a joint administration, usually with Labour and sometimes Lib Dems and Independents too. Working together is in our DNA, and it delivers results. Stroud, just up the road in Gloucestershire, has been run by Greens, Labour and Lib Dems working together for over 10 years. And the result is a thriving council that has been named one of the best councils in the country for tackling climate change and is currently busy renovating tens of thousands of council homes to make them warm, comfortable and affordable. And in Scotland, just over the border, Greens are in government with the SNP. They don't agree about everything, but they've made an agreement to work together on the areas where they do agree, and they're delivering an ambitious agenda, including free bus travel for under-19s, and bolstering the rights of renters by introducing rent controls and protections against eviction. And it already happens a bit in Bristol too. For example, at the last full council meeting, Marley and I cooperated on an emotion and an amendment about refugee rights. It's disappointing to hear those comments from the current mayor about collaboration, because we're keen to collaborate, but the mayor is the one that holds all of the power currently. So sharing power is necessary in order to work together. Stephen. My experience as, as, as being both a councillor and a member of parliament and a minister is that most of the time politicians do actually work together harmoniously, but it's unseen and it's not broadcast because it's not news because you know, what, what we see of politics, whether it's on a lo in the local media or, or the national media, is politicians disagreeing with each other and often disagreeing with each other in a not very good way. Um, but that isn't really how democracy works either at city hall level uh, or, or parliamentary level. The 
there are English local government elections taking place in lots of other places next Thursday. We don't have them, but most of the other big cities do. If you lived in Manchester, the last elections last year for Manchester City Council, which has 99 councillors, produced 98 Labour councillors and one Liberal Democrat. And since then, there's been one by-election, so there's now two Liberal Democrats. In that city, it doesn't really matter what system you've got, because one party's got a total grip on power because of first-past-the-post. They can do whatever they like. We're quite lucky in Bristol. It's a pure fluke, total fluke, that first-past-the-post has given us a pluralist council to reflect the plu almost. Um, we should, Liberal Democrats should have more councillors, and Labour should actually have fewer if it had been a genuine PR system. But PR is, but, but first-past-the-post by fluke has delivered a balanced council in Bristol. But we have a system that puts all of the power into the hands of one party and, in fact, into the hands of one individual, uh, the mayor as well. And that's, that's the problem we've got with the way Bristol is being governed at the moment. At the next elections in 2024, I think it's quite likely you'll still have all four major political parties uh, having at least, say, a dozen seats each. So you need a system that's actually going to enable all of those voices to be heard and all of those communities Thanks, to feel Stephen. that they're represented as well. Cheers. Thank you. So our next question is from Ruth Pickerskill. Hello. Good evening. Hi. Hello. Um, I'll declare my hand first. Um, I have worked as an officer under Avon and Bristol City Council, and I've worked as a councillor under the mayoral system. So I think I've got quite a good understanding of how both work, and I am very much in favour of a mayoral system. I'm not saying it's perfect and it does need reforming, but I think it's the way to go. So my question is, the current mayor has used the international platform of global mayors and the national platform of city mayors to raise key issues that don't have geographical boundaries, like equality, climate change, support for refugees. How could a future administration, if it's a committee run, maintain and increase Bristol's influence over national and international issues that can't be resolved at council level? Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. So, where's that mic gone? I think this kind of global platform question is interesting because... If you ask someone from, say, the USA or China or India which they've heard of, Bristol or Manchester, I love Bristol with all my heart, but I'm pretty sure the answer would be Manchester. And yet Manchester doesn't have a directly elected city mayor. I think that raising the profile of, of the city on the international stage and um, raising these sort of cross-border issues is really important, but I don't think that a directly elected mayor is the only way to do it. Proponents of the mayoral system seem to really lean on this global platform as a key part of their argument. And to that, I've got two specific things to say. Um, although Manchester doesn't have a directly elected city mayor, it has a very well-known uh, Mayor of the Greater Manchester Combined Authority, that's Andy Burnham, who's doing a great job of raising the profile of Manchester, and I've heard a lot of people reflect that they um, wish Bristol had an Andy Burnham. Uh, and importantly, he's also securing funding from national government better than we're currently doing here. Bristol, in contrast, has a confusing situation where we have three mayors, the Lord Mayor, ceremonial, the directly elected city mayor, and the West of England combined authority mayor, currently Dan Norris. Now, 
When Bristol decided to have a directly elected Bristol mayor, we didn't have the Metro mayor. We now do, and there is substantial overlap between those two roles, with the Weka mayor being, I think, in a much better place to secure that funding and that profile, because the cross-border issues, the, the Metro mayor is already representing a cross-border area. And so would it not be simpler if we just had, um, just had that role? Second, the current mayor does a lot of jetting around the world telling everyone how great our city is and giving keynote speeches, etc. But actually, is global uh, you know, fame, global platform, really a top priority for our city? Now, I'm not saying that they're mutually exclusive, but if you did have to choose between a council that's well-run, open, democratic, accountable, and, and stable with a proportional representation on it, delivering positive change for its people, and a council that's famous on the world stage, which would you pick? 10 seconds, please, Cara. That's my point. You've done it. All right, thank you very much. I'll pass that along. Emma. Hiya. Uh, we, just to let you know, we do have Tom who's timekeeping, so when you see that two-minute red card, it means your time's up. up. All right. <laughs> um, I never said shut up. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you know, we're a, we're a global city, aren't we? Our local communities are global communities. There's 90 community languages in the city, and, you know... I think, again, that's why what the us being able to pick who leads us uh, is in a really important decision that people, um, people have been given that power and people are at the moment going to sleepwalk into losing that power because they aren't in the room even hearing this conversation. Uh, they're not engaging with this debate. They're not informed. Uh, that, you know, what, they're busy, like I said, having their lives, um, focusing on their priorities. Um, and this is a movement that's very much been driven by councillors and internal council politics as opposed to being driven by us. Uh, I think there's many doors that are open to us in terms of democratic decision making and electing the mayor and electing the councillor uh, of our choice are, are two of those doors and, and what we're picking now between is potentially closing one of those doors to us. So I think, um, you know, yeah, we are a global city um, but I think what I've seen certainly in my locality and it's great the examples that Stephen gave but I think it's really important to note that they were all central examples they weren't improvements within communities and within localities. I've seen houses being built within my locality. I've seen repairs being done to our parks that I haven't seen previously. I've seen play area schemes getting approved within our localities that hadn't been approved before. So I have seen movement at local community level um, driven by communities about the things that matter to them. And, and those communities being able to have their say directly to a mayor has, has definitely helped that, I think. so. Thank you. I'm going to go this way a minute. I'm going to go to Marley in a second. But while I'm walking along, something I forgot to do earlier, just from a show of hands, how many people at the moment, uh, if you were to vote right now, would keep the current system? Um, if you could raise your hand. I'm just trying to take a straw poll. And how many people would change the current system? OK. Not you, Carla. Um, <laughs> Now, it's interesting because I'm going to ask the same thing at the end of the night. Uh, and, and, and hopefully, you know, some people might change their mind. They might not. We'll see. Uh, Marley, please. Thank you. I'm worried if that majority of uh, people voted to change it is after my opening statement, but we'll see. Um, so, yeah, thank you for that question, Ruth. Good to see you. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good one, I, I, I suppose, because the, one of the arguments I think really sort of convinced me is how having a mayor allows us to have an elected city leader who can be outwards-facing 
and have that credibility, that mandate in, um, from, from Bristol as a whole. That doesn't exist under the committee system. And I think one of the advantages that gives us is you get the, um, the platform and the profile that simply you wouldn't get otherwise. But also it allows us, as a, on a local level, to have a mayor who's outwards face, facing and not just spending his time thinking, or her time, thinking about what is going on inside City Hall, how am I going to keep the support of the you know, section of councillors I need to retain my position. They're looking much more widely than that, looking across the communities of Bristol. I know under Marvin Rees's term, communities who haven't previously felt engaged with the politics of Bristol now are beginning to feel that City Hall was a place for them and they felt included. There's been quite a lot of initiatives that have got people involved in Bristol's discussion of politics in a very good way. Um, Carla, your comparison of Manchester to Bristol, I suppose, you know, I don't think the governance arrangement of either city is the reason Manchester's a bigger known city. Manchester United, the Beatles, you know. I, 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 don't, I don't quite... <laughs> oh, yes, sorry, Oasis. Oh, that's dreadful. Forget, wipe that from the record. Manchester United was my point. Um, fi finally, coming on, because this is an argument that, that's been re made repeatedly about the Metro Mayor, and um, I'd like to sort of... There, there's a clear distinction between the, the, the Metro Mayor powers of, you know, sort of quite high level on a strategic basis, and there's... It's, it's quite hard to see how a metro mayor's decisions really have the impact on people's lives in the way Bristol City Council, which runs everything from it's the highways authority, you know, Ten schools, seconds, libraries, um, adult social care, ch child social care, um, special, you know, all these issues that are the day-to-day based, day-to-day um, -day people's interactions with local government. <laughs> Thanks, Molly. Stephen Williams. Well, the job of the person who leads the city, leads the city council, whether they call the leader of council or the mayor of, of, of the city, is to run the city's services. The primary service they need to run is, is adult and child social care. That takes up an enormous amount of the, of the council's budget. It should take up most of the person's time who leads the council, whether they're mayor or leader as well. I do follow very closely what people say uh, at City Hall. I can't recall the current mayor of Bristol ever really making big statements about adult social care or children's services in the city. I have heard of lots of trips abroad. Uh, I have heard lots of talk about building an underground in Bristol, which is not within his power, because that power lies with the West of England Combined Authority and the Metro Mayor, Dan Morris, and most people think is completely undeliverable anyway. So the global platform, it rather depends on what it's used for. If it's used to talk about things that are undeliverable and are never going to happen, then I think it's a waste of time. And I also think it doesn't really matter who the mayor is or who the council leader is. People around the world and around the country know about the attributes of a city, whether it's a football club uh, or anything else, for the innate reasons of the city itself. I, when I was an MP, I did several foreign delegations. I could tell you virtually everyone had heard of Bath. That's got nothing to do with the leader of Bath and North East Somerset City Council or the, or the deficiencies of whoever was leading Bristol Council uh, at the time. It's because it's got a brand and people have heard about it. What we need to do here is to get all of our regional leaders working together to promote Bristol as a brand abroad, and that can't be done just by one mayor or indeed one leader of the council. So the global platform is important, but 
the leader of Bristol City Council isn't the person who should be discharging that role. It should be the Metro Mayor. And actually, I think it doesn't make much, much of an impact anyway who that person is. Thanks very much. Uh, Ruth, I'm going to go back to you just a questioner. And then if anyone's got a quick comment, uh, I've got two minutes, I think. I'll come to you. Ruth. Yeah. I mean, the, those were useful answers. I mean, my question wasn't really about how can a mayor go around increasing their influence globally. It was more about how do we deal with some of those issues. And if you take an example like refugee issues, Bristol City Council cannot resolve refugee issues. It's a global issue. And more inequality is a global issue. There are lots of national issues like poverty and things that need to be resolved collectively. And I think the voice of cities is absolutely crucial. And I've seen um, how the issues that are coming up in our city have been able to be promoted nationally and internationally in a way I don't think I've seen them happen before. Thank you very much indeed. And if I go around, if I do, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give you the mic, otherwise you might not give it to me back. So I hold it. Uh, if you just say who you are and, uh, yeah, your comment, please. My name's Councillor Joss Clark. Um, if I can just wait, make one comment, this is not about a person or an individual. And we've had a lot of talk about Marvin. And, and actually, this whole debate is about the system and the process, not about an individual. We're not talking about the previous mayor. We're not talking about Marvin tonight. It's about the system that is of governance in the city. And I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit sad that we've referred to an individual as much as we have, because although I know we have an individual in post at the moment, it's not about them. So there's no criticism about him, and there's no, it's about the system that we are talking about this evening, and that's really, really important. Can I just make one point? Go on really quickly. Oh, Emma, um, really interesting to hear what you're talking about, and particularly your introductory comments, fascinating, and either on a one-to-one -one basis, but I'd really like to hear more about how you feel that public, the public, and particularly, particularly certain sections of the Bristol population could have engaged or could have, you know, in, engaged in this whole process more effectively. And I take your point entirely about the timelines, because it has been relatively short, unlike the Sheffield um, sure. ref the referendum yeah. process went on for a whole year. Sure. We haven't had that luxury, and that's not within the gift of us as councillors. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you sure. very much. Uh, well, I, you know, I guess participation is really important, and I think yeah. you know the, the the it's reflective again of like I said of this panel, you know, of, of this room that it's not as it's not as diverse as what I've seen historic panels and um, you know hustings and things like that being. Especially here um, at City particularly Academy. Particularly Academy, yeah, yeah. yeah, where it's it's sure. huge, you know, hugely diverse catchment area, uh, and I and I feel that you, like I think it's a bit of a cop out, unfortunately. Say councillors didn't have a choice. You have a choice about when you've called this referendum. You could have, you know, it didn't have to happen right now. Uh, it's happening with a really short lead in time. We've we've had a one city assembly that was really constructive. We could have been working on having another city, citizen assembly to have okay. a debate about what we want our future of um, future governance to look like that could potentially lead to reform of the existing system. Uh, I run an old building because I'm much more a person of like reuse and adapt what we've got rather than throw it out and start again. Sure. Um, so yeah. Thanks Emma. I knew I shouldn't have left the mic near you. I'm only joking. Ricky Arrow.
In terms of timing, Tom, um, has anyone been naughty? Have you been kind of fact-checking and, 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 and listening to what's been said? Any thoughts? Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be the, the, the teacher correcting people on this. I think that the interesting point about why you're having it at this time, there was a, a limitation in terms of um, actually getting, getting uh, a referendum done within the legal timing. So it, that's why it's been rushed to get, get it in within what was allowable by law. We had this kind of tenure moratorium in the first place that we couldn't change within that period. So that's why it's kind of rushed. Um, I think there's, there's, there's two points I'd like to make. One was the, 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 the other mayor in the, in the room in terms of the combined authority mayor. And people often talk about yeah, the, the WECA mayor is picking up the powers and responsibilities of the mayor. So there's no need for a city mayor anymore. I think that's somewhat overstating the case. Um, they have functional differences that they do. You will always need a very, you know, with a, with a city as, as diverse and with as, as diverse challenges as Bristol is, you're always going to need a strong voice uh, into that combined authority alongside that, that combined authority mayor. That could, of course, doesn't have to be an elected mayor. It could be a, it could be a city leader uh, uh, through, through a cabinet. So it's not that one replaces the other. So now we've got, got a Wecker mayor. It doesn't mean, oh, we, we, we can therefore get rid of Marvin. I think that's, that's kind of an overstatement. I think the interesting thing when, when people are talking about party politics, um, if you think about how the original referendum was, was, was talked about, it was about stagnation in the council, party political uh, arguments and bickering holding the city back. And they're very strong and enduring narratives that are still around today, and, and people often play into them quite a bit. I think the, the interesting thing to consider about that is what's happening if we've got a very angry, um, disaffected and sidelined councillor group. Why is this happening? They've been sidelined potentially by a system. Um, they find that they have no mechanisms to really hold a mayor to account. And that potentially is doing something to how policy made and how scrutiny is done at the council as well. So I'd say the systems in place we have under the mayor model aren't really doing enough to enable councillors to participate in the policy process. Hence why we're getting a very reactive councillor body that are using kind of overview and scrutiny, the main tools that they can uh, call the mayor to account in a very adversarial, critical way after the fact. You shouldn't have done this. If there were uh, systems or mechanisms in place, potentially under the mayoral model, but through the, or even through the committee system, that would give the room, and, and coming back to Carla's comment about that there is no uh, monopoly on, on good ideas across different uh, political uh, spheres and boundaries, if councillors had the room to participate in that, that, that policy process, then we probably wouldn't even be having this referendum in the first place. Thank you. Go for it. Just a clarification about the timing. Um, so it's true that there was a 10-year statute of limitations, that, or whatever it's called, that means that the referendum couldn't be any earlier than this, because it had to be 10 years after the previous one. I believe there is also a rule that means that um, this, this, you know, the vote that happened in December was pretty much the latest it could possibly be if we want um, it to take effect at the next local elections in 2024. And so I didn't like the timing of it either, but my understanding is that if we hadn't done it then, we wouldn't be able to have a change in the system for six years, which is a long time to wait. So totally appreciate it. it's not ideal, but circumstances. And the, the final reflection on that is if the city did opt for the committee system, we'd, Marvin, as, as the elected mayor, would stay in place for two years, and we'd have two years for them to work it out what the system would be. I think I'd also advocate whichever way this vote would go, we do need to have that broader conversation about how democracy is working in this city, either to work to improve the mayoral model that we have, or to choose the form of committee governance going forward as well. Thank you. 
Thank you. And thank you for using your cards, everybody, as well. Right, question three. Uh, this is from Amanda, who responded to uh, the Bristol Cable call-out. What are the checks and balances on mayoral power, and are they being fully applied when major decisions with long-term impacts on communities are being made? Stephen Williams. Uh, well, uh, Amanda, um, this is part of the problem. There are very few checks and balances on a directly elected mayor. Now, people who want to keep the system will no doubt say, well, they're directly elected so you can vote them out. That's true of all the councillors as well, of course. They're on exactly the same electoral cycle. Uh, every four years you can vote for your local councillors uh, and for the mayor, police and crime commissioner, members of parliament, uh, etc., and, and, and vote them out. But in between elections, the mayor isn't accountable at all um, to, to anybody. They, they, they have almost absolute authority within the city. And the people who really should be holding them to, the, to account are the other 70 elected members of Bristol City Council. But it's very hard for them to do so because they don't have a legal ability to summon the mayor to come before committees or to answer questions uh, at council uh, in, in, in a helpful way. Compare that with, with parliament. Your ministers have to answer questions both orally and in writing on a regular basis. They have to appear before select committees and I, I, I used to do that. So. There's very few checks and balances on, on, on a mayor, whereas the leader of a council does at least have to hold the confidence of their 69 fellow councillors in order to stay in place. There have been bad leaders in, in the past. When, in the time when I, when I was a councillor under the committee system, some of the, the leaders of Bristol City Council were pretty awful, uh, to, to be honest. But in theory, they, they could be removed. And of course, that's exactly what we have at a national level as well. Um, Boris Johnson may, may find out soon that he's lost the confidence of Conservative MPs and will be removed without any of us. Uh, I thought that'd be popular. Uh, <laughs> without without any, any of us actually having a direct say in it, as Margaret Thatcher found uh, in, in, in the past. Uh, as well. So at the moment, there are very few checks and balances on, on an elected mayor, and that, th that, I think, is the major problem. They can do what they want for four years without anybody being able to derail them. Thank you, Stephen. Molly. Thank you. So I suppose I'd just like to start by saying that there are various ways that councillors can um, raise policy issues and question uh, decision-making within Bristol City Council. We have a number of scrutiny committees which exist where there's you know, quite, quite in-depth conversations are had on a cross-party basis between councillors where um, you know, members of the Cabinet will come and answer questions on behalf of what Bristol City Council is doing, and you have that discussion, and you know there'll be quite a deep dive into sort of different policy areas. I know that's sort of been in the case for you know some, some very sort of difficult issues that Bristol City Council has has to um, respond to um, the special edu edu uh, special educational needs and disabilities sort of crisis has been an example. So you know th these things do exist. There's, there's also cabinet questions, which you know al allows another opportunity for councillors to raise particular issues about ca uh, cabinet decision making. And I have seen at cabinet because an individual councillor has gone there and raised issues that has you know it had an impact on decision-making that's happened. But I suppose the overall principle is that um, rather than having to retain the support of you know, a majority of councillors, a mayor in that position, their focus is on retaining the support of the people of Bristol as a whole. 
I've you know already spoken as as Emma and Tom's mentioned the, the advantages that having an outward facing mayor allows us to um, have you know this can be someone who's focused directly on the people of Bristol and has that direct accountability and that direct accountability that exists at an election I'd say is much better than the possibly ongoing system of checks and balances you have in a committee system by election time you don't have the checks and balance from an election in electing who leads the city that doesn't exist there's there was no direct accountability at election and I'd say that principle is more important um, thank you so in the mayoral system as you've heard almost all decisions are made by the mayor and cabinet members and that happens behind closed doors Yes, cabinet meetings are public, but have you ever watched a cabinet meeting? There is never any disagreement. There isn't even a vote. It is always a done deal by the time it reaches the public cabinet meeting, because everything has been decided in advance, in private, by the mayor and his cabinet members. The majority of councillors who are elected to represent you have frankly hardly any opportunity to do their job of representing you. There are scrutiny committees who give feedback on the administration's proposals, but often we receive those proposals when they are 99% done, uh, and there's only a few weeks left for us to feedback before they're agreed, so there's very little opportunity to shape them. And anyway, nothing that the scrutiny committees say or do is binding. The administration can and often does totally ignore them. In fact, um, the mayor and cabinet members have even sometimes refused to attend to answer questions and listen to feedback in the scrutiny commissions. There are also full council meetings where we set the budget, pass high-level strategic policies and adopt motions. But even though we set the budget, the mayor still has the power to change virtually all of the details within our overall budget envelope between meetings without running it past any of us. Um, and motions are not binding. The mayor can and often does ignore them, even when they've passed with cross-party or unanimous support. Take, for example, the decision to build an out-of-town arena reliant on cars to get there rather than the city centre one, which was contrary to a vote at full council, and his active support of Bristol Airport expansion, even though the council asked him to do otherwise. There's this idea that... Sorry, Carla, you're, you're, you're virtually out of time. OK, I'll do one sentence. Go just on. To sum up. There's this idea that it's more accountable to have a directly elected mayor because he's elected, as if councillors aren't elected too. So for the avoidance of doubt, just to make it clear... It's a long sentence. The committee... The, the councillors are the ones with the power, so you are directly electing okay, the ones that you. make the decisions. Thank you. This, this word accountability keeps getting used, and I think it's really interesting because, um, you know, I'm really interested in knowing how many councillors who are elected right now got in off of a scrap the mayor message, how many were, have that mandate to have put forward this referendum that we're now being asked to vote on in a week's time. Uh, I don't think it was everybody... Um, and, and how, uh, given that there were several candidates um, in the mayoral, last mayoral election who stood on a scrap of their message, I think it's also really interesting that they didn't get in either. So I think this idea of accountability and, and our councillors and our elected representative being accountable to us and acting on our behalf is really important. Um, and whether or not 
not we have a mayor or whether we not we have councillors and a committee system, I think what's really important is this idea about political reform. So your councillors are actually representing you and talking about the things that matter to you, not the things that matter to their parties um, or you know to their peers. Um, and, and I think really that's the bit that's missing at the moment um, for me. So, uh, a member of the audience is uh, Hamlata Pant, from, uh, a Newtown resident, uh, a founder of the Newtown Nature Club. Hello. Um, I'm like right next to Trinity. We um, had like a gardening club over the summer, and we're gonna like we keep doing more stuff as well. Um, it's in Newtown, which is like in St Philip's. Um, yeah, it's cool. Uh, okay, so my question is: um, I have no doubt that you agree when I say that Bristol's youth have a unique, compelling shine to them. However, not many young people are um, are engaged in local politics and may not vote on this issue, like not and not just because of age. Um, what are the barriers to to young people's participation in local voices, and how would each of these two systems better include and represent the voices of the young people? We've only got one mic, so I better hot foot it back. Um, Stephen, young people, their voices, underrepresented. I mentioned I, I was a very young politician, and Marley's a very young politician. Carla may be a, a young politician as well, but we're freaks, frankly. Um, mo most people um, early on in life probably aren't that interested in party politics. I used to give lots of talks to year six in primary school or sixth form or year 13 uh, in, in secondary schools, and people are often quite apathetic about party politics, but when you talk to them about issues, and more than one issue, suddenly they really were interested in politics. They just didn't feel that the system, whether it's the council or parliament, uh, was, was something they, they, they could relate to. And I think it's always been that way. I don't think having an elected mayor or leader of the council makes much difference to that. It's up to everyone who's in an elected position in our city to make themselves approachable to all communities. Um, I, I remember um, councillors used to take part in shadowing schemes, maybe, maybe they still do, but both for young people, uh, but also for, for minority groups as well. Operation Black Vote uh, used to uh, get uh, young people from ethnic minorities in the city to shadow uh, leading councillors in the city and shadow members of parliament as well, to give them an insight uh, in, into what was going on. And all of those schemes can take place. You know, whatever the leadership model of, of the city can be, it's just up to the mindset of the people who are leading the city to want to reach out uh, to all of our diverse communities that, that Emma mentioned earlier, but in particular to young people as well. A big change that has happened relatively recently, and there is one teenager councillor, I think, is that the age at which you can stand for council was reduced from 21 to 18. Um, I've always been in favor of reducing the voting age as well uh, to 16. And then I think you really would get lots of people more interested in politics because they felt they'd have their hands on the lever to, to make an actual decision. Wales and Scotland have done this. It's only backward Westminster and England uh, that are stopping that from happening uh, in, in, in England as well. But I think votes at 16 is the way forward, whoever runs the city. Uh, I think there's been schemes like the Youth Mayor Scheme that I think has helped to create youth voice at that leadership level. I think being able to have a direct, uh, directly elected mayor that is an independent enables a young person or a youth movement to actually come from the grassroots as opposed to it being actually connected to any party political um, groups. Um, and I think, again, it just gets back to there isn't a perfect mechanism for democracy and decision making. Uh, and if 
if we want everybody to engage, we have to have multiple open doors. So I, I know that, yeah, the city's done the city assembly, uh, citizen assembly that I think worked really well and, and enabled different voices who aren't the kind of business as usual, you know, Stephen Williams is of the world who've been in politics forever to come forward and talk about the things that matter to them. Um, and I think it is about saying that there is no one mechanism. We've got to find multiple open doors that are going to engage the different communities of age and demographic within the city. Thank you very much. Carla. Thank you. Um, to answer the thank you for the question. I think it's a really good one. Um, to answer the first bit of it first about barriers, uh, I think it's partly uh, the poor standard of political uh, and citizenship education in schools. There are some great teachers that are doing their best, but really the quality of political education in this country is rubbish compared to other countries. Um, I also think that the media has some responsibility here. I think the media often, there's a lot of greens being waved, um, often covers political scandal rather than actually how decisions are made and importantly how people can influence those decisions which leave people sitting back watching this horror show and thinking that they can't do anything when actually they can. I do think there's also a bit of responsibility on us as politicians to um, to, to speak in plain English and avoid jargon uh, and, and realise that if people aren't engaging with politics, it's not because they're stupid, it's because they've got a million other things going on in their lives and they don't have time to read a hefty long document, so you need to get to the point. Um, I had one other point on that note, and it was... Yes, uh, assuming that we all agree that young people should be encouraged to play an active part in politics, potentially as politicians themselves, not just as voters, then I would actually argue that the committee system is better for inclusivity. So I spent some time on Wikipedia this afternoon looking at all the directly elected mayors um, in the country, um, whether that's at borough or city or metro mayor, and almost all of them are men over the age of 50. It is an inherently alpha male way of running a democracy that is not e so easily co compatible with caring responsibilities or for that matter with a disability or other commitments or the fact that you're quite early in your career and you can't necessarily have that flexibility or enough disposable income to run a massive mayoral campaign. In contrast, being a councillor is a part-time role so the threshold for entry is lower and that makes it easier for young people and that teenage councillor is Lily, my, my Green Party colleague who came into politics from, from being a youth striker, it makes it possible for young people to get involved. Thank you. And Molly, if you could say Thank you. Um, yeah, um, Carla, actually, I'd agree with what, a lot of what you said about the barriers in politics and sort of, I'll go even further about sort of often the quality of debates that we see um, in sort of political life instead of discussing the real issues and, you know, the, the challenges that young people face, stuff like, you know, the, how hard it is to find decent, well-paid work, or the housing crisis, or you know, all, all these issues, we get sort of a political attacks on one another that you know aren't, aren't always fair, and you know, it's really poor quality of debate. I've you know found it quite hard to get involved in politics myself. So you know, I I, I completely am sympathetic to um, 
why a lot of you know young people um, aren't getting engaged in politics in the way that they should be. I speak to a lot of my um, my mates about political issues, including this debate, um, this referendum we're having, and <laughs> it's quite it's, it's challenging getting them engaged at all. I you know for the first time I know most of my mates won't be voting because why why? And I'm like well you know I'm trying to fight my case, but you know please please have your say. It's difficult. Um, you know, I, I, I do agree with a, a bit of what Stephen said about, um, you know, the apathy in political um, parties, but it's, it's not been helpful when, you know, so often people have sort of been let down or, you know, don't, you know, think a party's on their side. You know, I hate to say the tuition fee sort of argument, but, you know, that's sort of a very good example of, you know, people supporting a cause, thinking they're on your side for young people and then just being completely let down. And, you know, I feel like we've seen enthusiasm for, you know, for the Labour Party sort of in recent years, and that shows that it is possible to enthuse young people en masse. Um, we just need to harness that and ensure that young people have a fundamental voice in British politics and local Bristol politics that continues going forward. I think forums like the Bristol Youth Council and Bristol Youth Mayor offer brilliant avenues for young people to get involved, and I'd like to see it go further still. I know, you know, there's sort of youth agencies, the Creative Youth Network is a very good example that gets people involved in that, this sort of decision making. So, yeah, no, there's, um, there's definitely more to do in getting young people. Just, I'll just finish by saying, you know, as a sort of youngish councillor, I am sort of 26. Um, I'm still in favour of the mayoral system, and despite, you know, it might be in my own interest to go to a committee system, I might get more political power under a committee system, I don't know. But I don't think that's what's right for the city. Just going to, I'm, going to go, I'm going to go back in a second to our, our question, Ahemlata, uh, but just some observations, Tom. Yeah, just two things very quickly. The, the first one is, is thinking about who we get chosen to be our leaders in this country, and, and it's always important to think about the responsibility of political parties in terms of selecting those leaders. Uh, when we're looking at the diversity, who, who, who gets put up in front of us to choose. So I think there's a profound responsibility for political parties to make inroads to select uh, uh, mayoral candidates, local candidates who are diverse and representative of the communities that they're going to represent. The second point is kind of following up on Carla really, is thinking about the practicalities of being a councillor as a young person or as a parent when meetings are, uh, you know, four or five hours long, midweek, uh, no crash facilities, all these kind of practical barriers, you know, a, a, a councillor stipend that's around, you know, 12, 13,000 pounds, I think, um, something like that, maybe a little bit more. Um, and thinking, no wonder we have councillors that tend to be kind of male, pale, and stale, is how we can enable somebody to think of it as a practical choice, firstly, that they can do alongside a, a job, alongside caring responsibilities, but also thinking that the big point here is about perceptions of that could be me and role models. And that's really, really important in any political system to, to be able to look and see oh, that person looks like me, or that person comes from where I come from, that could be me. And if we are restricting aspiration in terms of the candidates the political party is selecting, then we're you know, compounding this misery and it will continue, continue, continue. Thank you, Tom. I shouldn't be nodding. I'm supposed to be the impartial chair. Um, I'm going to come to Matty from the Bristol Cable in two seconds, but I want to go back to our questioner. And as a young person, is there any inspiration there from any of the answers that you've heard? That's the first thing. And the second thing, does it convince you that either of these systems would be preferable for you? Um. With, with sort of like listening to what you've said all day and like to my aunt, like this whole time and to answering my question, um, I just want to 
say that communication also includes listening, and I think that goes both ways. Um, with you know, reaching out to young people, it's really important to like listen to what they want and like be really, really sympathetic, which I've heard today. Um, and I just hope that that like continues and like can you know take that on with your work. Um, and yeah, I I do think that um, the two systems are. are it do, I think you're right with the fact that the system, it doesn't matter. It's more about um, how people are represented. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, Matty from the Bristol Cable, saving me work. You can ask this question. Um, I wanted to ask about participation tonight, and I'm very aware that we've already talked about it a fair amount. but. Um, over the last month or so, you know, we did a survey with cable readers about how we how well informed you feel about the upcoming referendum, and you know, having last year we covered the local elections and a lot of readers um, told us what they cared about, and it felt very lively and people were really engaged and and we were quite shocked really about how little people knew and how little how poorly engaged people felt. And these are even people who are usually really passionate about local politics. So we've already touched on participation quite a lot. So I guess I want to ask, do you think the people in Bristol have had enough information and enough time to think about it to make an informed choice? Particularly the people campaigning for the, to change to a committee system, do you feel comfortable about how we've held this referendum and people having enough information? And also, more broadly, how do we drive higher engagement with local politics, maybe aside from young, younger people, which we've already talked about? Thank you, May. Before I, I go to Carla, I just want to ask you, Tom, what was the percentage take-up when we actually voted for a mayoral system? Do you know, roughly? About 24%. Yeah, about 24%. About 24%. Thank you very much, the non-politician. Um, Carla, can you go first with this? Thank you, um, and thank you for the coverage that The Cable's been doing on this. Um, but to answer your question directly, no, I don't feel comfortable with the level of um, public engagement it's had and the level of profile it's had in the local media generally. Um, and that's um, despite rather than because of the efforts that um, the Greens and other parties have made. I mean, we have been out knocking on doors and delivering leaflets and, and speaking on the media about it when we can. Um, small plug, I'm going to be on uh, BBC Politics West uh, this Sunday talking about it and a bit more profile. Um, I seem to be really plagued here. What's... <laughs> okay. It's whenever I talk, though. Um, one of the... What was I going to say? Reese is hidden up there. So, one of the things that I think isn't solely responsible but hasn't helped is that the council has not done an information booklet to every household, which the council did do, if I remember correctly, last time around in 2011. Now, if I'm wrong, someone tell me, but my understanding is that that is a decision that's a decision that was made that it wasn't worth the money and therefore that's a Labour administration decision not to share that information with voters, so yeah, I, I would disagree with that decision. I feel like I'm labouring the same point, but I think, um, I, I, I just keep getting back to this thing about, the, uh, you know, I'm sorry guys, but councillors had a choice 
when they put this referendum out or the way that it's happened. And there is clear knowledge that there was going to be insufficient time to engage the diverse communities of Bristol within this um, in really important decision. Um, I think that the people who have voted for Scrap there are relying on that poor engagement because the only people that are going to come out are going to be the people that want to vote for change. And they'll vote for any change. As we've seen again with Brexit, people come out because they vote for change. And they don't really understand the implications of that change. And because actually, because they haven't been told and because the decision hasn't been made. Um, you know, because it is, even though we're talking about a committee system, we're not being clear about what the structure of that committee is going to look like. Um, you know, who's going to be on those committees, what rotation is going to look like with those committees. Um, so I, I, I kind of feel again, it's like if we really wanted to get people involved and for people to have their say, there could have been conversations that were happening in the run up to this referendum. We already had, as we said, a vote on this that was turned down. So we're not even getting the first choice of the leader and cabinet model. We're getting the second choice because that was the only one that we could get put onto the ballot paper. Um, so I feel all this technicality stuff and all this stuff is just, is, that is the thing that puts people off politics. We don't, none of us really care about this stuff. We care about who represents us and what are they doing for us and for our communities. That's, you know, and that's what it's about, basically. Um, well, the short answer to Matthew's question is no, <laughs> that there, there, there hasn't been enough information. I think the political parties have done their best, but of course the, they have to raise the money uh, in order to print the leaflets and, and use volunteers to, to get them delivered. So I've delivered uh, my road and several roads uh, nearby, and I know hundreds of other volunteers, both in the Liberal Democrats and the Green Party, have been doing the same uh, on, on the side of the, the people who want change. And I've seen from Twitter that Marley's been out um, with, with Labour people uh, canvassing and, and delivering uh, as well. So the parties are doing their best, but ultimately the real failure here is the City Council really should have sent impartial information to every single elector with their polling card, which is what happened in, in 2012. And I'm flabbergasted, really, that it hasn't happened uh, again uh, this, this time round. But I think trying to get, step back from that, trying to get engagement in political change is actually incredibly difficult. I don't think engagement was that high in the real issues that were at stake in leaving or staying in the European Union. There was a awful amount of coverage about it. Lots of leaflets, lots of forests were probably pulped in order to get the leaflets out. But ultimately, I don't think um, that there was a terribly well-informed debate in, in, in June 2016. Likewise, in 2011, when there was a referendum to change the parliamentary voting system, the advert that most people remembered seeing was that if you vote to change the voting system, this baby in this incubator will die because this referendum has cost a lot of money. And that's, that's, that's a, a sad fact. The no, the no campaign in, in that referendum, you thought a thoroughly negative campaign. So I'm not a fan of referendums for changing the way we govern ourselves as a country because it's an incredibly complex set of issues that can't be reduced to a simple binary choice or yes or no. But it was the only legal way we could do it this time around, unfortunately. That's why we're going down this route. Just a show of hands. Thank you, Emma. Um, in terms of information, how many people feel that they've got enough information to be able to make an informed decision. Okay, thank you. And how many people feel that they don't have enough information to be able to make an informed decision? Thank you. It's just interesting to see. Molly. 
Thank you. Um, I'll just share firstly quite a funny anecdote I had. I was, I was leafleting one of the wards in um, my wards and I represent it alongside a Green councillor, Lorraine. And as it happened, she was leafleting the same ward. And Lorraine very kindly offered if um, I wanted to help deliver her leaflet, she would deliver mine, <laughs> which I was overwhelmed by. I was, that was, I, 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 yeah, well, you know. So <laughs> we, we, we are definitely trying to get the, uh, the message out and some of us are really to deliver deliver any leaflets um, yeah so um, it, it was a phrase that um, the leader of the Labour group Steve Pearce used during the debate on whether to have this motion at all he repeated it quite a lot navel gazing you know you'll remember from the debate but I really do think that is quite a good sort of summary when, when we've got a cost of living crisis um, you know all, all these sort of issues that we face as a city to then all of a sudden throw upon the people of Bristol we, we need to have this referendum about how we um, gov govern for, you know, for the next decade, it is very, always going to be incredibly hard to get that level of engagement. I appreciate you know, the points Carla said about this being the latest we could do it, but the, the fundamental point is people of Bristol have had a very short space of time to make a very serious decision about how we, as Bristol, will make decisions for the, for the, for the future. Um, the other point I'd make is... Uh, as, since being a councillor, sort of, I've chatted to people in very difficult positions, people in overcrowded housing. I'm, you know, very well aware of how we've got a crisis in Send, and you know, just from casework, how difficult it is to get a pothole filled in, or because of the lack of money that's there. This referendum's already costing six hundred thousand pounds. I don't know how expensive it would have been. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I, yeah, I don't know how expensive it would have been to get a uh, leaflet to everyone, but crucially, we did have a an election last year where the two candidates who ran on a platform of scrapping the mayor only mustered 30% of the vote between them. The Green candidate, Sandy, has since come out in favour of the mayoral system because he's had the time to look in to see what you can deliver, and I think he's spoken very convincingly about how the challenges that Bristol Ten faces... seconds, money, we, we can respond to that through the mail system. So, I, you know, I, I was yeah, really convinced by what he had to say. Brilliant. Okay. Um, very shortly, um, please don't shout out because our mics won't pick you up and when we rebroadcast, we won't, nobody else will hear what, what you have to say. But I will come out and about with the mic. So you don't need to shout. You can talk to the panel. Final question. Um, this is from Jenny who responded to a Bristol Cable call out. How will the outcome of the referendum affect future generations living in Bristol, particularly when it comes to deep issues like achieving net zero that require deep transformative change? Um, Carla, can I go to you on this one? The mic's on, on, that, on your side. Well, I think it all comes back to the point I made in my opening remarks about the quality of decisions made. If you've got a diverse... Um, set of lived experiences and a diverse set of political perspectives in the room, you're more likely to make better quality decisions that may take a little bit longer and cost a little bit more to make in the first place, but that's because they're inclusive decisions that will then last and what people won't try and overturn them. And so, um, in fact, I think there was... Um, um, I'm just going to pull up a stat. Bear with me two seconds. Transparent facilitation. Um, where's it gone? No, never mind. Don't worry. I had a good stat, but I've forgotten it. Um, 
I think that... <sighs> Uh, all, there's also the age point that actually came up before as well, that um, I think that um, the committee system and the, the council being run by councillors probably means that you will have um, generally some younger people involved in that decision making, and obviously younger people are more um, concerned with their own future, rightly so, and, and especially with um, the climate crisis and so I would hope that the decisions resulting would have that in mind more. Okay, thank you. Emma. Um, uh, yeah, I mean it's a big question isn't it really? Um, I think again it's about us being able to pick who we want to drive that agenda forward um, and I think one of the best ways to do that is being able to see that candidate in the room for us to question them directly uh, and for them for them us to be able to vote on whether we think that they're going to do what they say they do uh, we do that with our, our councillors and we're doing that at the moment with our elected mayor um, I've seen some great hustings before with independent candidates as well as um, party political candidates being able to come out and really platform um, causes and issues that wouldn't otherwise have a voice and I think that is one thing that the uh, hustings process does do with the elected mayoral representative is really give us the opportunity to scrutinise that leadership um, that will be there anyway regardless if we vote them in or not. Thank you, and I'm really glad we had this question, actually, because it's, you know, fundamental to what we should be focused on in this debate. I've already sort of spoken about why I think uh, the mail system's better on the grounds of democratic accountability, but really it's the outcomes, it's, you know, what Bristol City Council is doing to respond to these challenges, you know, that Bristol the country, the world faces, including climate change. And I think that having the mayor puts us in the best position to respond to these. Um, as an example, on climate change and reaching net zero, um, we've managed to attract over one billion in low carbon investment to Bristol through having the mayor who can go to government and go say, this is, this is what I'm going to deliver, this, this is what I need to deliver it that sort of stability that the mayoral model offers doesn't exist under the committee system so it's much easier for us to get that sort of um, sort of high very ambitious schemes off the ground similarly with housing you know we're now finally beginning to see some progress on the housing crisis yeah i think we should be doing more but we are building homes i would like more to be affordable more to be social but there, there is real steps being made um i think that the, having that leadership that we get from the male model puts us in the best position to respond to these uh, various challenges. Well, Jenny, um, if, if the city votes for change in a week's time, and I hope and think it probably will, then we've got two years almost to the day uh, before the elections for the new council in May 2024, where everyone in the two-year run-up to that knows that the city is going to be run in a different way. I'm, I'm no longer directly involved in, in, in party politics, but I would urge my Liberal Democrat colleagues and the Green Party, Labour Party and Conservative Party and independents uh, as well to spend that two years um, constructively working together to come up with a model about how the council can work in, in that modernised uh, committee way. And 
almost more importantly, away from the, the navel glazing about structures, is to reach out into the city so that we have uh, young people standing for whatever party they might believe in, um, and look outside the current party political membership uh, of the four parties in the city, because there's lots of talent in the city, but perhaps they haven't felt able to come forward for the last uh, decade, because all of the power rested in the hands of one individual. So a lot of people felt that the way to get change or to get th what they thought was beneficial change was to influence that one person. And the mayor's got you know, a lot of unelected people around him advising him, maybe telling him uh, what to do, was if we have 70 councillors running the city from May 2024 onwards, let's hope that those 70 people are the best that the city can put forward to tackle all of the challenges that we'll face, and climate change uh, is the number one global issue about which we can do quite a lot locally, but, but there are issues that get neglected as well, such as social care in, in the city that needs, needs a lot of attention. And if you're utilizing all of the talent that is elected in the city, so 70 brains as opposed to one, you're more likely to find constructive solutions to all of those complex cities that make a city a wonderful place to live, but also a very challenging place to try and run as well. Thank you very much, Stephen. Right, Becky, I'm going to make you work as well now. Um, there have been a, a few thoughts, so we've got some hands, and we want to go out and about. And please um, note that we've taken the mics away from the panellists at the moment, because it's your opportunity just to give some comments. So I'm going to come to you in a second. I'm going to just go all the way up to the top. So just some comments, really. So if you try not to ask them anything, because they can't answer you, they don't have a mic. Oh, so th these are not questions, just comments. Okay, um, so my name is Amin, and this is going to be my first time voting uh, for elections um, uh, here in Bristol, so I'm very excited about it. And I do feel like I have not heard uh, enough, I don't have enough information, and I'm someone who follows politics a lot. I live in St. George, no party has given us any leaflets, uh, at, least, at least to my house. Um, I did have two questions, so I'll, I'll very quickly mention. Callum, you mentioned earlier party politics and how the mayoral system is, uh, there's a lot of party politics in that. I would have assumed that the opposite is true. If the committee with all of the colors, then you'll have party politics because people are trying to make decisions. This is not to say this is a bad, th a bad thing that we are all trying to make decisions together. I was just, I'm not sure I understood the point. Uh, and then the second and last point. Um, the alternative, uh, so we have, we have an alternative system that we're going to vote for on next Thursday, but how did we get to that point? I'm sure there, were, there was more than one option, and I know that Bristol has run at least on two different variations or flavors of the committee, and I haven't heard anyone talk about how we got to that decision. Thank you very much. So make a note, and, uh, and Tom, make a note as well. Becky, where are you? I'm here. Oh, um, if you I can was see any. Give the mic to the panelists. No, 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 no don't. Okay, uh, we're not doing that. Here we go. There's a Bristol cable being held in the air, and then I'm going to come down this way. Uh, yeah, I, I, I want to pick up a point that Stephen made at the end there, but add a little bit to it. Um, I'm going to vote next week. I don't think I've had enough information. I'm not confident. But at the same time, I take confidence from the fact that I think it isn't as important as everybody maybe thinks which system we have. What important is that whatever the vote is, I'm going to quote from the cable now, which I'm a member, uh, not a member, don't work for it. 
Um, but I am a member of it. It's a great paper, too. And in their editorial, the cable says, we need to see this referendum as not the start, but the start of a conversation about how our city should be run and reset where we can build a healthier and political culture. So no matter who wins, I hope whoever wins, one side will let their wounds and come back, and either side wins, they will set up a citizen's jury or something like that and say, how are we going to get a more collaborative system than we've had so far? Thank you. Thank you very much. Hello. Hello. I'm Mary Page, and I'm the found, one of the co-founders of It's Our City Bristol. So if any of you would like a leaflet to find out what our perspective is, and our perspective is we would like people to vote for change because we believe that democracy is broken in Bristol. Uh, and the reason we believe that is that last point that Stephen Williams made about the fact that we have almost gone back to a situation where we have a feudal overlord who is influenced by people around them with uh, very highly paid advisors, over £95,000 paid to the mayor's chief of staff, uh, over £80,000 paid to the mayor. Um, and those people around the mayor are there because of... Uh, and are supporting the mayoral system because of their pay, their privilege, or their position in relation to that mayoral post. And that's why I believe it is essential to fix our democracy, to take uh, and remove that post, because it perverts and it corrupts our de democratic process. And it locks the majority of us out because most people cannot afford the time that, uh, and to be in those positions of influence and to gain those positions of grace and favor around the mayoral system. Now, I'm not saying that was that's under either particular mayor. It is a fault of the system, and it is a corruption that of the system that is the problem. And therefore, with those 70 councillors, it is far harder for business to buy their way into dinners and banquets with that one person. And, and absolutely, absolutely. Um, and that's what we've got. We've got a system where the mayoral post is about uh, that person being visible, that person making a place for themselves in the world, and extolling the, and selling off the city to the highest bidder. We have a process which has allowed gentrification across the city. Those homes were not put up by the mayor. It is the planning system. It is the planning committee. It is a non-executive function. The mayor's office costs 860,000 pounds per annum. So we will save that money. The last point is it's our city, it belongs to us, it should be a custodial role, and that's why the councillors, the people who we elect to represent our communities, because together we should look after the city for the future, for the young people, for all of us. Um, do I get a leaflet as well? You yeah, you've got to be generous, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm going to try, if I try climbing over, I'm going to split my... Well, I'm here, so... Oh, where are you? Here. Oh, there you go, look. <laughs> over there, look. You, you're coming from all angles. If you say who you are, and, uh, and then you'll comment, please. Hey, um, 
Um, yeah, my name is Salem. I should probably start by declaring my interests first. Um, I'm a member of ACORN. I'm also a member of the Green Party, and kind of that obviously kind of probably affects my bias in some way. It's probably important to declare. Um, but I really wanted to talk about um, how important it is to empower people to take part in politics and to vote, especially. Uh, a big part of that is how the result of those votes. Right? So the initial mayoral election uh, vote, nowhere near the vast majority of people voted for the Labour mayor we currently have. And when it came to the second round, well, obviously goes to two mayors, it was nearly 50-50 between the Green Party and Labour. So if we had um, a balanced political system, I'd say, that should mean that the Green Party and Labour, if nothing else, had about 50-50 control of decisions that are made in, within uh, on the council. That doesn't happen. The Labour has a huge um, majority of that control. As we've heard, it basically comes down to control of, sort of eight councillors um, who make up the council, the council cabinet, sorry, and the mayor. Um, that has resulted in what I feel is a council that is very unrepresentative of the city of Bristol. Our, if you look at our mayoral election results, you can see that we're a very divisive city. Well, not, uh, yeah, divisive city in the sense that there's a, a lot of different people with different views. It's important for those different views to be represented in the council, not just the views of one party, whatever the party that may be. Whether that's the Green Party, Labour, Liberal Democrats, whatever. It's important that they're all represented. How, just a quick question. So uh, I assume you're for the committee system. So in that situation, Somebody pointed out in a question earlier, how does that stop political rivalry? So you've then got different political parties are then whipping, if you, it, 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 um, to, to use a different phrase, to, to vote in a particular way against another party, so Green against Labour or against Conservatives. So there'll always be infighting um, and, and disunity, whichever system you have. How do you overcome that, do you think? Um, I think there has to be... At the end of the day, we have to be civil with each other. We have to be able to sit down at the table and kind of work for the better, uh, sort of betterment really of Bristol itself. Um, and it's within the all councillors' interest to do that, to get their um, what they want to get done done. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much for your comments. Hello. Hello, um, my name's Liz. Now, many, many years ago, I had the misfortune to be a Labour councillor on the hung council of Avon County Council under a Tory government. And I think that might be ringing some bells in my head now. And we had a committee system which got an awful lot of things done. It got a lot of equalities issues talked about, and there was movement on equalities issues, and, and the same with education and social services. However, I do not want people to get too rosy-cheeked about a committee system. Most of the decisions that were being made, not all of them, but a lot of them, had been pre-prepared by each political party, and you could count up which way, which way the votes were going to be before you went into a committee meeting. However, it did enable people to get together 
more freely, I think, than under the pre present system, um, to collaborate on issues which were of interest to all parties, as long as councillors stepped out of their party political boxes and, and collaborated on those things. Marley gave a couple of instances which have happened recently. Um, but I really resent that. I, I would probably go for a change in the system to, go, to, to get rid of the mayor, mayor of, of Bristol. But I do not want people to go on there to, to vote that way, thinking that, that everything will be rosy under a committee system, because it won't. Because you've got to turn the political dinosaur that is Bristol around in decision-making competence and capability. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, first round of applause. Well, no, it's not. Tom got a round of applause as well. So I, th I think we got one here, one here, and somebody up at the top as well. We'll just go to this lady first. Um, I, my name, I'm Councillor Heather Mack. I'm leader of the Green Councillor Group at the moment, so the biggest opposition group, and I used to be a party political campaigner. So I wanted to talk about the opposition and the party politics of it. At the moment, the Greens and all of the opposition groups do not have any power to impact anything other than planning and licensing. And look at Marley there, which is quasi-judicial. Um, decisions are made by one party. The other party, all we can do, other parties, is go out there, go to the public, and talk about, criticise, campaign on those. In a committee system where the parties sit down and the parties collectively own a decision, we will not be spending all of our time, none of the parties will be spending all of their time out there complaining about the other parties. Uh, we need more voices in those decisions. We need more collaboration. Thank you. Thank you very much. So we've got a couple here, but this gentleman here, and I'll go up there. Oh yeah, uh, so my name's Gary Atkins, and I, I'm actually an engineer, um, so I have no um, official political role, unlike most people I think have spoken today. Um, and I think it's been a fascinating debate, but I'm afraid to say it's also somewhat superfluous. And the reason I say that is because if you look at like, what people like uh, Stephen gave us 10 years ago with the uh, alternative vote referendum, I think that was a brilliant thing that we were given. And as I think the coalition government to come under so much flack for no reason at all. I, I supported that and I supported the alternative vote. But I think what happened was I looked at the details of the alternative vote and I could straight away see that it was vastly superior for this ridiculous national election unrepresentative system that we've got today. But of course, we kind of lost the vote, as I see it, because people just didn't understand it. They didn't make the effort. To, oh, actually, it is a little better. Let's look at the pros and cons. They just thought, oh, no, it's a little complicated. I don't want to go anywhere near that. I'm just going to vote for the status quo on this one. And I think that was a, a real lost opportunity for democracy in this country. And I think locally, that's what's going to happen now. I think people know roughly what a mayor is. They know what he or she excuse me, stand for. They don't really quite understand what a committee system is unless they come to an event like this. So most people won't vote, and the people that do will probably just vote for what they know, which is a mayoral system. And I'm actually quite surprised uh, when, uh, Pat, when you asked how many people feel informed. Right. And even in this room, I'm quite surprised how many people feel as informed as that to put their hand up. I don't, and I've made a real special effort to try and find out about the pros and cons. I finally made the decision that probably 
the committee system is better, but we can't expect the public to be fully informed about Thank this you. sort of decision. Thank you very much. Um, just to prepare you, panellists, um, we are coming towards the end of the time, so we're going to go across and get maybe some 30, 40 second closing statements from everyone. Um, and you're going to have to include any answers or acknowledgements to comments as well. Hello. Hi, I'm Stuart. Um, politically, I'm a Groucho Marxist. I would never join any party that would have me as a member. <laughs> My crystal ball says that we're going to vote out the mayor at the coming election or referendum. And my question for every councillor in this room is, what will you do to prevent Bristol being trapped with a two-year lame duck administration, unable to take any serious decisions because they'll take longer than two years to be signed off, and risking facing squabbling between all of you. I personally will probably vote against the mayor. So in a sense, I'm creating the problem that I foresee. Thank you very much. Um, I know there, is a, there are a couple of hands up, but what I want to do is to give, go back to our panelist, Becky, if that's okay. Can we just have a question? Okay, yes. yep. All right. Um, a, a very quick 30 seconder, if that's okay. I think okay. it's more of a statement. Thank can you. I, can I just say, the, the money thing that you mentioned before, it feels a little bit like that Brexit bus. I think it's like a misnomer saying we're going to save money. Um, I don't know if it's true or not, but um, my, I think mine's off the back of that one is that we, a couple of times I've heard people throw out on this panel this SEN crisis. Uh, I'm experiencing that, obviously not me personally. Like, what, uh, like, what is actually going to happen like in the next two years if we vote out? What is your kind of plan to make sure we are kind of making sure things are happening, just like this guy said it there? Because I suspect we are going to vote the mayor out, just having listened to people here. Are we just going to go into limbo? So, you know, people haven't got any housing, kids aren't getting the education they have a right to have under the SEN code of practice. That's the end. I'll Thank drop you. the mic now. No, no, don't drop it, but pass it. But I know what you mean, yeah. Um, I'm not sure there's anyone on the panel will be able to give you a definitive answer, but let's start with Stephen. Thanks, Becky. Can we just please just close off um, your, your comments in 45 seconds, Tom, if you can time? Thank you. Well, I, I said earlier that the current system we have effectively places special educational needs, the museum service, uh, adult social care, uh, collecting, the, collecting and the recycling, all in the hands of one person who's only got one brain. Was I think if you're going to run a city with all of those complex services and with all the competing demands on them and all, all, and all the rivalries, uh, not political ones, just, just genuine human rivalries in the city, tapping into the brains of 70 people is probably going to be more productive. And what I found when I worked under the system in the 1990s for three terms as a, as a councillor is that people gravitate to what they think they can make a positive contribution to. So when I was a councillor, I was the leader of the Lib Dem, so I had to be on the policy and money committee, but I was interested in leisure and culture, so I was on that one as well, and I was interested in planning and the built environment, so I was on that committee. And you found on all the committees that the councillors who felt they could care about that, knew something about it, would come together and collectively make decisions. Was at the moment, you've got one person making decisions and deciding who he or she wants to help them make that decision. So I think seconds, that's the democratic Stephen. deficit. Thank you very much. Emma. 
Hello. Uh, you'll still have a leader that's going to get paid a hefty salary, by the way, whether you vote a mayor out or not. So I think it's, I, again, I do think the salary point's a bit of a misnomer. Um, I think if you gave people the vote uh, to get rid of all their local councillors and parliament altogether to save money, we'd probably all vote to get rid of everything. <laughs> so I just don't know if that's a really sensible question to be asking anyone, particularly right now, given that there's so many other things going on. But given that we have been asked that question, uh, I would really encourage people to participate in voting it's so important if we get 20% turnout 15% turnout that is just crappy and all that's going to do is just mean what we're going to just be bickering then for the next four five six years so please speak to your local councillors ask them why they voted the way that they voted and ask them why the system that they think is better is better and what that's going to enable you to achieve in terms of the things that are priorities for you make sure you read this brilliant document here the brilliant articles that uh, Bristol Ideas have put together um, and just really try and swat up as much as you can Thank and you. take part thanks Emma Tom you you get your 45 seconds as well go Thank on you very much um, I think the, just to, to build on that comment really um, we've, we've also produced this this document there's been great work in the cable the, the stuff that Bristol Ideas have done as well the most important thing though is not everybody operates in the circles so have conversations politics is about talking to people talk to people at work talk to family tell them that there is a vote what it's about and I think the second point really is this has to be the start of a conversation if we stick with the mayoral model it has problems and we need to look at how we might reform it if we can reform it to improve it to make it work better if we do vote for a committee system, we've got two years to really work out exactly the best system to involve our councillors, to involve our communities, to better represent the city. It's a real opportunity, but whichever way the vote goes, we need to really push for that wider conversation. Thank you, Tom. Carla. Okay, rapid answers to three questions. Um, how did we get to this choice of systems? Um, uh, actually, I don't think what Tom said earlier was quite accurate. It's not that we're deciding between committee and mayor and cabinet because that was the only option left. It's because the Green Party supports the committee system. That's in our policy book nationally and locally. And we made it clear to the other parties that wanted a change that that's the one that we would support and so it would pass. And that's because we think it's a better, fairer, and more democratic system. Um, your question about why we think there'd be more party politicking under the current system, I think that my colleague Heather did a great job of answering that, so I'll leave you to reflect on that point. Um, and what will you do to pre prevent a lame duck administration for the next two years? Well, as discussed, as opposition councillors, we don't have very much power, so I can't promise to prevent it myself. But I would suggest that uh, there is no need for it to be a lame duck, and to do so would be an abdication. Just because you might not be in power in the future doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing good work in the meantime. And I would suggest that the mayor may want to work more closely and collaboratively with the other parties to ensure that whoever takes over in whatever form, uh, we're all on board. <laughs> Thank you, Carla. Molly. Thank you. Um, I, I suppose you've raised a really important point about accountability, and you, you know, I'm afraid I don't have an answer of how we would respond to the challenges if we do vote to change. But you know, I, what I would hope is that under the current system, there is direct accountability. You know who's, who's responsible for very difficult systems, whereas if, if, if we go to a committee system, there will sort of be deflection, delay, and, and people pointing not being there to take the blame. We've talked about the quality of debate, and I actually think the quality of debate within this room has been very good. You know, other panellist members who I don't agree with, but making very sort of compelling points. I just wish we had more people in the room and more people engaged. We all know it's not 
systems that lead to good decision making. It's the right people in, you know, have been in the right positions making decisions on behalf of the city. Most of us love, you know, that that's what matters. I, I you know, I think the mayoral system it provides that because it gives people that direct say in who leads them. It gives that direct accountability. Don't give that power away to me and other councillors. Keep it. Keep your voice. Keep your vote. And please vote to keep the mail system. Thank you very much indeed. Just a quick show of hands. I'm not going to ask you which way you're going to vote, but can you raise your hand if you feel that this 90 minutes has informed you uh, in terms of the decisions that you're going to make uh, next week? And that's really positive. Thank you for that. Uh, it's really positive. I want to say thank you, of course, uh, to our panellists today, Carla Denia, Marley Bennett, uh, Emma Harvey, Stephen Williams, and Tom Oliver as well. Uh, thank you very much. I'd also like to say thank you, as always, to Eastside Community Trust. They always put on the most amazing community engagement events. And, of course, the Bristol Cable as well for getting these questions in. Well done. And I just say, please continue to engage in your local media, you know, your community media, your community newspapers, your community radio stations. We have Ujima Radio, we have BCFM Radio. Keep engaging in those uh, and keep talking to each other and be kind. Thank you very much indeed for being here and good night.